way to pray together with other believers, study the Bible, and get to know more people here at Crosspoint. Our youth group also meets on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. For more information on our connection groups, please see your church bulletin. Next Sunday, we'll continue our teaching series in 1 Peter. Good morning. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service here at Crosspoint. Would you please stand with me as we sing this morning? Redeem now, I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. His child and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Child and forever I am. I know there's a crown that is waiting in yonder bright mansion for me, and soon with the saints made perfect, at home with the Lord I shall be. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. child and forever I am, his child and forever I am. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain.
throne I stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. We had a great Sunday last weekend celebrating Easter, the, the day that our Lord resurrected, and we, we introduced a new song last week, Living Hope, and it also is the title of our sermon series as we're going through First Peter. So we're going to sing that again this morning. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation. I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? has spoken I am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior I'm yours forever Jesus Christ my living hope hallelujah the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost his grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope hallelujah praise the one who set me free Hallelujah. 
Amen. Well, good morning. We are in 1 Peter. We started last week a new sermon series on the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to continue uh, in chapter 1 today. So good to see each and every one of you uh, with us today. Last Sunday, of course, was uh, Easter Sunday. We talked about the hope we have in the resurrection of Christ and how that we can anchor that hope. Peter was writing, who was an eyewitness of Christ and, and, and the, the disciple, the follower of Christ that we know really the most about. There's so much about Peter, both good and bad, that we know about him. And so Peter's writing now later on in his life, and he is encouraging Christians like anchor your hope in Christ. They were going through difficult times. They were going through a lot of difficulty with persecution and, and different uh, just stresses that were probably economic related. Uh, and, and so Peter's writing to them and saying, you can anchor your hope in Christ. That you have been born again. And because of that, you have a living hope in Christ because Jesus rose from the dead. And we talked about last week how that, that we have the inheritance that awaits. Peter's writing to people that had very, very little in this life. And he says, you may not have much down here, but your inheritance is up there. And for believers, like we may not have a lot in this life, materially speaking. And maybe sometimes some, some may and some may not, but really that doesn't matter because even if we do, it's not even going to last. But the inheritance we have is one he says that will never fade away. It's going to last forever because Christ rose from the dead, because you've been born again, you have an inheritance that awaits you. And then he goes on to say, you're kept for that inheritance. The power of God is guarding you 
and protecting you. You are in Christ. That Christ not only saves you when you believe, but the power of God will keep you. And proof of that is God's ongoing work in your life. And he talked about how that even during trials and difficulties, that for the believer, what God is doing is he's sanctifying us. He's making us more holy, making us more like himself. And one way that he does that is sometimes through, he says, the fiery trial. Going through that fire, just like the, the goldsmith refines that gold by heating up the flame and scraping off the impurities. That's what God does with trials in our life sometimes. He uses those to make us more like him. And so he reminds them, look, you have meaning and purpose in all that you are going through. He's going to go on to talk about like the wonderful salvation of being born again. That the prophets prophesied and predicted of this, but they didn't really see the fulfillment in their life like what you are experiencing and seeing. And he even talks about how like the angels look on in amazement at God's redemptive story taking place here on earth. So now Peter's going to switch gears a little bit. And he's going to say, okay, because you've been born again, you need to now live consistently with that. Live like you're born again is what he's going to now tell them. Live like you're born again. Verse 13, he says, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this phrase, gird up the loins of your mind, kind of sounds odd. Like, what does this mean? Well, it would be equivalent when we would say, like, let's roll up our sleeves. Like the, the men in this culture, this custom would wear like a robe or a tunic and they'd have something on underneath that. But if they were going to run or do some kind of physical uh, exercise or activity, they would, they would tie that robe up. They'd lift it, tie it up around their waist so that they could get to work and do what needed to be done. And so just like we would say, it's time to roll up our sleeves. Peter's saying, okay, let's take this, let's take this serious. I want you to be sober-minded. Be sober-minded, he says, and, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So grace is this thing. Peter's already addressed grace like he gives them this greeting of grace and talks about how we're saved by the grace of God. But also the grace of God is what is going to allow us to live how God wants us to live. That not only are we saved by grace, and grace is, is undeserved favor that God gives us. We don't deserve it. We haven't, we can't earn it. It's a gift. It's grace. We are saved by that grace. But here's the thing. We are also sustained by that grace. And we also now are being sanctified. We're being made holy by God's grace in our life. So sometimes we can have this mentality that, okay, salvation's a gift. I'm saved by grace. But now it's, it's all about my effort and my work and what I can do. And that's actually not the case. Now, there are some things we need to do. There's decisions we need to make, but it should flow out of a God's work of grace in our heart. And God changes us from the inside out. God's work of grace is it changes our desire where following Christ isn't about a list of things that we have to do. It's about, no, I want to please Christ because his grace it's been given to me and I don't deserve it. And God's grace saves me and God's grace is also 
sanctifying me. And by the way, kind of a side note, we're going to talk about having a love for our brothers, a love for people around us here in a moment, because Peter's going to say, that's a, you're born again, so you need to live like that. But when it comes to grace, I think sometimes when we cannot extend that grace to people around us, and the times where it's hard to be gracious towards people in our lives, are the times that we have failed to recognize how gracious God is in our life. Because when we really look at how patient, how merciful, how gracious God is to us, it should then cause us to want to be gracious to the people around us. So Peter said, okay, be serious about this, that God, uh, be sober, the hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that when you're going to need this grace, this grace is going to sustain you, not just now, but until Christ returns. He says, as obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. So he says, look, as a believer, we are to live like obedient children. Just like as those that have children, you want your children to obey. Like that's a good thing. Amen. Like all parents say, yes, amen. Even if you're not a believer, you probably are on board with that one. Like that's a good thing. Children obey. And Peter's saying, just like you want your children to obey you, as believers, we're to obey God. That should characterize God's work of grace in our life is that we want to obey him. And he says, he says, don't fashion, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. In other words, he's saying, don't go back to an old way of thinking. You've been redeemed. He's about to tell them how it, 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 you have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. That you have been purchased by Christ, you have been born again. He says, don't go back to an old way of thinking. Don't go back to thinking and living how you did and, and the things you did. He says, in your ignorance. In other words, when you didn't know any better. When you didn't know any better. Like, yeah, you lived a certain way before you knew the Lord. Because you were in ignorance. You didn't know any better. And by the way, like as believers, as we look around the culture, sometimes... It can be easy to expect unbelievers to act like believers. Now, that being said, that all people are going to be accountable to a holy and a righteous God for their sin. It's not an excuse that, oh, they can sin because they don't know any better. But I think it should cause us to have more grace and patience and love for people of recognizing, you know what? The reason people are living the way they are is because they don't know the Lord. He says, and, and that's how you were before you knew Christ. He says, the former lust, the former sinful things, he says that you did in your ignorance. He's saying, don't go back to that. Don't go back to that way of thinking. And, and look, I know we have a lot of people at Crosspoint who just in the last few years have come to know the Lord. And, and here's the thing, like there's going to be a temptation sometimes to go back to an old way of thinking. And Peter says, no, you've been born again. You're saved. You're in Christ. So there's going to be a lot of direct opposition from what the culture around you says to live and how to think and what is acceptable and how you should live and how you should act. And it's going to be in contradiction with how a Christian is supposed to live. And again, we don't take that approach in like a condescending way, thinking we're better than other people. But the reality is that because we've been born again, we should think differently. We should live differently. And this is what Peter's saying. You've been born again. So now live like it. 
You should live as obedient children, not, not according to the former sins and lust that you lived when you were ignorant and when you didn't know Christ. Now he's going to say, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation or in all manner of life. Live holy. He says, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. He's quoting from Leviticus. Where Leviticus talks about the holiness of God and God had Israel like he has all of these things they had to follow. And, and some of them were, were dietary laws or ceremonial laws that were for a specific time and purpose, right? To, to point to Christ. And so we as believers aren't obligated to follow those things. Those things have been completed in Christ, Amen. But however, God's moral law is unchanging and God's whole point in Leviticus with the holiness code and talking about how his people should be holy. Why? Because he's saying, look, you're to be separate from the nations around you because your God is holy. So you are to live holy. And Peter's saying, look, as believers, you've been born again unto this living hope in Christ. Christ rose from the dead. You have an inheritance that awaits. You're being protected and guarded. And you are, you, all that you're going through and the trials have meaning and value. Look as Christians, live in a certain way. Live in light of that. Live holy. Because you're born again, live holy. Holy is, is set apart. We're being sanctified. We're being made more and more like Christ. He says, if you call on the Father, who without respect of person judges according to every man's work, Past the time of your sojourning here in fear. It's like, look, God's not a respecter of persons. Like, you're all going to stand before God. And that is, and that is something that we need to be sober-minded about. God's not a respecter of persons. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers like look some things that were passed on to you from your fathers it wasn't it wasn't biblical right it, and and i think that that all of us could say whether you grew up in a christian home or not there's some things that we really value that were really good that were passed down to us if you're if your family wasn't believers if your parents weren't believers not to say you don't love them and respect and respect them and maybe you're very thankful for some of the things that you were passed that were passed down to you but some of the things it was like it wasn't biblical peter's saying look you're redeemed not with silver and gold from the vain or empty lifestyle that that your father your parents passed down to you look you're not redeemed by those things you're redeemed by the precious blood of christ the the precious blood of christ has saved you who's it again the context here living holy Living in a way that's set apart, that we're, that, we're, that we're living in a way that's pleasing to Christ. Because we've been purchased. We have been bought with a price. He says that it's with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So that's what we're redeemed by. Not by silver and gold. He says that perisheth. I mean, something as valuable as silver and gold. He's like, that's not going to last. It's going to perish. It's going to fade away. But he said, you were redeemed. You were purchased by the blood of Christ. And that's not going to perish. That's going to last forever. But a lot of times, you know what? We look at gold and silver like that's going to last forever. And we put way too high of a priority 
on those material things. And we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. Now let's use those resources of silver and gold for the glory of God. Amen. If God's blessed you, you don't have to feel guilty about that. Enjoy it. Use it for his glory. But so many times, you know what? We freak out about material things. We freak out about money. And, and I'm not saying it's right. It's just kind of how we're wired and how we think. But Peter's saying, look, you have something. You have something much more valuable than gold or silver. You have been purchased. You have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. So live holy. Live set apart. Because your salvation has been purchased by the blood of Christ without blemish and without spot. He says, who was verily or surely was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, was made known in these last times for you. So he's saying, look, that God's, God's redemptive work didn't just come up in, 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 in a last minute spur of the moment idea. No, this was designed and planned by God. That God who knew all things, this was his plan for redemption. That he knew that Adam and Eve would sin in the garden. That there would be, that the, the death and sin would be passed on all men. And God's plan for redemption is that the Messiah would come. That Jesus would come. He would die. He would redeem mankind with his blood. And he's saying this wasn't just something that was quickly thought of. This was designed by God. And he says, yes, it's manifest. It's, it's made known more clear now to you. But he says, this was God's design. This was God's plan. He says, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope, there's that word again, that hope might be in God. You can have confidence in God. You can have confidence in your salvation. So he's saying, now seeing you have been purified or you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned or genuine love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And we say in this, look, you're born again, live like it, live holy, live in a way that's pleasing to Christ, live set apart. So not only living holy, but now he's saying love fervently. Love one another in a real and genuine way. And the love that we have for one another should be flowing out of the fact that, look, we've been redeemed. We're believers in Christ. Now, sometimes people think, well, love, that's just kind of shallow. And loving one another, that's easy. It's just kind of a, you know, a, a, a cliche or a phrase we hear all the time. Love your neighbor. And, and we think maybe that's weak or there's just not much depth to it. But you know what? Loving one another is actually something that can be very hard to do sometimes. Now, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's very difficult. Anybody ever have a hard time loving your spouse sometimes? Don't raise your hand if they're next to you. I said this at, I said this at 930, so I have witnesses. But I said, for me, it's very easy to love my wife. But I know there's times it's probably hard for her to love me and you know what within the family like how many times how many find yourself maybe like saying things and you're kind of joking but 
You're like, oh, I love my kids, but I don't like them too much right now. Right? Anybody at that, at that phase with your kids, like sometimes, man, they're challenging. And, you know, sometimes within the family, within the body of Christ, it's easy to love one another. And other times it's difficult when there's conflict, when we don't feel like maybe someone has um, shown us that love or that respect back. Maybe there's been an offense or something of that nature. And, you know, sometimes it's really hard to demonstrate that love to people around us. But it's important that we do. And Peter's saying, look, live like you're born again. Look, you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. So live holy. He's like, look, you need a new mindset. You need to think soberly. Don't just wander aimlessly and, and not think deeply through these things. He's like, no, you need a new mindset. You need to be holy. Live a holy life that's set apart through and by the grace of God. And then love one another fervently. And this is important. Especially for us as a, a church family, that we're loving one another, that we're fervently loving one another. And may I propose this, that like that takes like getting to know one another and how we can be there for one another and how we can do life with one another. And so it's important that we have a church family that we can be there for one another, that we can have accountability. And I said this in the first service too, that I know we had several guests and <clears throat> some guests here in this service. This isn't one of those like, you know, because sometimes like Easter or Christmas, on those Sundays when like churches have a lot of guests, it's like they take that opportunity to try to make everybody feel guilty. Like, well, we're glad you're here today, but where have you been? Like, and that's not my purpose and point. Some of you, like you're, maybe you're just seeking, where does God have you? What church does he want you to be in and be part of? And totally understand that and appreciate that. <clears throat> but may I just say this, like, while we hope it's here and we hope it's Crosspoint, it's important to have a a church family where if you're a believer and you know the Lord, that, that you can be a part of. You can be a part of. Why? Because there's going to be times, you know what, you need that love, you need that encouragement, and you need that from others. You need to be a taker. You need to receive. And there's also times when you need to be the one giving that. You need to be that encouragement. You need to be there for that person. And we can't do that if we don't know one another, if we don't have meaningful relationships with one another. Peter's saying, look, you're, you're born again, so live holy. You're born again, so, so love fervently out of a pure heart. A genuine, he says, an unfeigned love, a genuine love for one another. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Hey, we're born into this world in sin. We're born of our parents, but we need to be born again. And it's of incorruptible seed from the gospel, the word of God. That's going to last forever. He says, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. And the, the, the grass, sorry, that was a hard word to say for some reason. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the gospel, this is the word by which by the gospel is preached unto you just like the grass the beautiful green grass that we see growing thanks to all of this rain that we've had it's beautiful it's green but what happens it comes and then it's going to get cut down it's going to fade away the flowers are beautiful for a season but then what happens they they fade away he says those things will come even he even talks about silver and gold's going to perish as enduring and as valuable as that is even that'll perish 
but the word of God is going to last forever. He's giving these believers a confidence, a confidence, yes, in the resurrection of Christ, the confidence that they're born again. And he's saying, hey, the word of God that you have, it's going to endure and last forever that God has spoken. God has revealed himself. God has revealed truth and the word of God will last forever. He's going to later talk about in, in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, he's going to talk about how the, the inspiration, how God breathed his word and how that it didn't come from man's ideas, but it actually came from God. That God used, yes, human authors. Yes, they wrote with their own style, their own personality. In fact, we'll have a fun discussion about that because there's a great controversy and debate that says, well, Peter, you know, Peter probably wrote 1 Peter. Well, I guess a lot of people say that, you know, Peter probably didn't write either one. But some will say, okay, Peter wrote 1 Peter, but there's no way it's the same author of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I mean, the way the, the, the Greek is, and all, there's no way it was the same author. We're going to talk about all that and, 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 and what the answer is to that. But the reality is we have no problem. Look, we have no problem with the fact that Peter probably used a scribe. In fact, he told us that he did. Dictated and someone wrote it down. Yes, it was humans that wrote it, but behind, behind the word of God, behind those books that were written, yes, by human instruments, was the mind of God. And that's why there's such unity and cohesion uh, within the scripture that we have, because it came from the mind of God. And Peter's saying, look, it's going to endure forever. God's word will last. God's word will endure that these truths are something that came from the mind of God and it is gonna last forever there have been more than once in history people who've, who've tried to destroy the word of God in fact in in 303 in AD 303 the Roman emperor Diocletian he demanded that every copy of the scriptures in the Roman empire be destroyed and so what happened? Christians hid. They hid the word of God. And many of them suffered greatly. Many of them died for the word of God and for their faith in Christ. But just within 25 years from that, 25 years from Diocletian, there was another Roman emperor, Constantine. You've heard of Constantine? Constantine actually, under Rome's dime, under Rome's dime, he had... He had a scholar assemble 50 copies of the word of God. What one emperor thought he was going to do to destroy the word of God actually was going to be used in a great way that we still benefit today because we have copies from all over, from all different places, all different times. And some of that is a result because of the persecution of Christians. And that we can actually have a great confidence in the reliability of Scripture. Because here's the thing, it was never just under control of, of one group or one person. And while sometimes that can seem like, oh, that's a bad thing, right? Like, we got all these copies and there's actually some differences between them. And, but when you really think about it, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Because if there were changes that were made... And just one group had control of it. If there's only one line of transmission, 
We would never know if there were changes that were made early on. But because there's multiple lines of transmission text from all over the place, and you know, you bring them together, sure, there's some, some, some variance or differences, but you know what you have? You got the same New Testament. I would say that's pretty miraculous. I would say that can give us confidence in the Word of God. Emperors have tried to destroy it. <clears throat> Kings have tried to ban it. In fact, in 1526, there was a man you may have heard of that by the name of William Tyndale, who was very instrumental in getting the Bible into the English language. In fact, he defied the Pope because he said this, Rome and, and, and the Pope and even the, 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 the bishop in London said, we don't need the, look, people can come to the Pope to hear the word of God. And, and Tyndale, he, he defied that and he said that my goal is that, that by God's grace that the word of God will be accessible and in the hands of the common plowboy or just the common farmer will have just as much access to the Bible as the Pope. Well, they weren't pleased with this. In fact, what they tried to do was buy up all his copies and destroy them. But that backfired because the money that he made from that, he was able to produce three times as many copies of the word of God. So finally, they were hunting him down. They caught up with them. They hung them and then they burned them. But it was too late. The word of God had, had, had flourished already in getting it into the hands of people in their language. The word of God's going to endure forever. In the 1920s, when, when uh, Joseph Stalin, when Joseph Stalin was, was, was just committing a horrible uh, horrible genocide in, in Russia and killing millions and millions of people. He ordered that all the Bibles be banned. And there was one particular city in Russia. They actually stored them in a warehouse. They didn't destroy them though. They kept them in that warehouse. And it was decades later they were discovered. These Bibles in a warehouse. After Stalin had died, after the fall of the Soviet Union. And under the authority of the Russian government. They were dispersed among the people. The word of God will endure forever. The word of God will last. Look, today it's not so much of a threat of someone trying to gather up the copies of the word of God to destroy it. But it's more so people trying to put doubt on whether the Bible is even reliable. Whether the Bible is even accurate. I mean, you've probably heard this. And by the way... Your kids and grandkids will definitely hear things like this. And they probably already have. Things like you can't trust the word of God. You know, you can't trust the Bible. There's what it says now is not what it originally said. It's been changed. You'll have all these people who, who seem like they're really smart and have this knowledge. And they'll, they'll give a lot of true facts. But what they'll do is they'll, they'll spin those facts. They'll spin that evidence, evidence to try to get them to come to a, a, a conclusion that they don't necessarily have to come to. Things like, oh, well, it's all these differences. Sure, you guys claim you have all these copies of the, of, the, of the manuscripts, but there's all these differences between them. But like I said, that's actually a good thing, right? And you know what the differences are? 98.5% of the differences are just spelling errors, word orders. And the, 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 the variance or the differences between them that actually could change something, like because we have so many manuscripts, 
we can actually compare them. And we can, I think, in a miraculous way that we can say with confidence that we have God's word. And yes, I make that as a faith claim, but it's not a faith claim that's just, that's just like, that goes against evidence. I would say the evidence that we have actually is consistent with what God says in his word that his word will endure forever. Because the word of God, the scripture that we have actually has far more manuscripts and far earlier manuscripts than any other work of antiquity out there. And so when you hear people say and try to cast doubt and they try to plant that seed of doubt that you can't really trust the Bible, well, I mean, honestly, if you took the radical form of skepticism that many of them have to take to try to say that the Bible's not reliable, if you took that radical form of skepticism, you'd really have to come away with, we can't really trust any written documents. But look, we have a lot of good evidence that says, no, we can trust the word of God. Because the word of God will last. It will endure forever. Peter says, look, the flower's going to pass away. The grass will fade and wither. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. That God has spoken, that God has revealed truth to us in his word. And so when we stand up and preach and proclaim the truth of the word of God, like we did last week and like we do weekly about how that we can have confidence in the word of God, that God's word is true. This isn't just, I'm not just giving you a pep talk. I'm not just, you know, giving you giving you a lecture. I'm not just trying to hype you up with some cool, you know, uh, motivational speech. No, we're saying when we open up the word of God, that this is God's word to us. And it is true. I want you to know you can have confidence in the word of God. My words will fall to the ground. I will be forgotten. Kings and kingdoms will rise and fall, but the word of God will endure forever. That God has given us his word. God has preserved his word. We have a Bible that we can trust. And so when we hear these promises, when we read the promises of God, they are sure. And we can be confident in them. And Peter's wanting these believers to have this confidence. So you can anchor your confidence in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. You have been born again. Now he's saying live consistently with that. Live consistently God's holy, so, so be holy. You've been born again. Don't go back to the, your, your, the former way of thinking. Don't go back to that old life before you knew the Lord. God's called you to be holy. And not only that, but you've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. So live holy as God wants you to live. And then love fervently. Love one another fervently. And then God's word will endure. God's word will last forever. And we can have confidence in that. Amen. What a comfort to know that God's word will last forever. That God's word is true. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I do pray that we would live, God, as you would want us to live. That we would live, Lord, a holy life. A life that's set apart, Lord. Not because we think we're better than anyone. But because we have been born again. We have been purchased by your blood. God, I pray that we would live in light of that. God, I pray that we would live loving one another fervently. Lord, I know there's times it's hard for us to do that. It's easy to talk about, but God, I pray that we would demonstrate that love to our family. 
Lord, to our spouse, to our children, and to our relationships within our, our church. God, I pray that we would live that way. And God, I thank you we can trust your word, that we can trust that your word is true, that your word will endure forever. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to give you a moment to pray before we uh, conclude our service today. If God's speaking to you about something, maybe you're here and you know the Lord. You have been born again. But maybe God's speaking to you because honestly, you're starting to go back to a way of thinking and a way of living before you knew Christ. And that's possible to do. Peter's saying, look, don't live in that way. Be serious-minded now. Don't, don't go back to thinking and living how you did before you knew Christ. You've been born again. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. So live differently. Live like you've been born again. Maybe, honestly, there's a strain in a relationship with another believer. Maybe there's a strain... A strain in the relationship, like in your home with, with your spouse, or maybe it's with, maybe it's with a relative, and and maybe God's speaking to you about loving that person genuinely and fervently, and restoring that relationship, or attempting to. <clears throat> maybe here today you've just you found yourself wondering if you can truly have confidence in the Word of God. Maybe you've heard things and you just haven't really known what to say or how to respond about whether we can even trust the word of God, but rest assured God's word will endure forever. That what we have is God's revealed truth to us that's been preserved for us. And maybe you just need more confidence in knowing that God's word is true. You can base your life upon it. And maybe you're here today, you don't know the Lord. You haven't personally trusted Christ as your savior. Honestly, we're just really glad that you're here. We want to see you come to know the Lord. I know this last or last Sunday, there were several that, several that expressed to me that they want to talk and didn't know Christ as their Savior. I've had some good conversations and I'm praying for them and I'm praying for maybe you, if you don't know the Lord, that, that you will come to that saving faith in Jesus Christ where you personally will be born again, where you personally will put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe today you need to do that. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you have questions about that. And you want to talk with me. You want to set up a time to, to get those questions answered. Please do that today. Just take a, just a couple moments in prayer before we conclude. <coughs> Amen. <clears throat> I want to thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, before we conclude, uh, Dave Panjwani is going to come give us an update um, on our missions and pray uh, for our missionaries. Thank you. Morning. That was nice. Thank you. Um, I like to highlight some of our missionaries specifically sometimes with photos and, and videos. So um, this morning, we're going to talk about Mike Noagbo, who we support. He's in Nigeria. 
Um, that's Mike. Now it's hard to tell in that picture because it's a little distorted, but he's about six foot eight, <laughs> something like that. And my wife and I and family got to know Mike when we were living in Germany and he went to the church we went to and he had a good job in Germany. He was sending money back home. And about eight or so years ago, he felt called to go back home and, and to be a missionary. And you can kind of tell from the photos, uh, this is definitely third world type of experience. It's a very difficult place, but we're, you know, we're very happy to support him and to pray for him, especially uh, with the work that he has in Nigeria. The other reason that he really needs our prayers, and I mentioned this before, uh, when you think about Nigeria, the country, it's a large country. Uh, in Africa, generally speaking, the Muslims are in the north and the Christians are kind of in the south. And Nigeria is exactly the same way. And the Muslim community is, is coming further and further south, which is basically he's right on that line. So it's very dangerous for him. But, um, you know, I talk to him probably at least once a week. And he never hesitates to say how um, excited he is to be sharing the gospel and, and, and just coveting our prayer. So just wanted to share a little bit more about Mike. He does a lot of things. I mean, that is a picture of actually uh, what we call street evangelism, right? He's literally sharing the gospel uh, to those that are in that, in that village, and he's leading camps and those kind of things. So appreciate your continued prayers for all of our missionaries and specifically for Mike Nawagbo and his family um, in the week ahead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the power of your word this morning. And Lord, we just thank you that um, you have preserved and, of course, inspired your word, Lord, and it's as relevant to us today as it's ever been. Lord, we thank you for that this word is, is able to be preached and shared throughout the world, Lord. And we just thank you for the missionaries who have allowed us to stand beside. We pray for Mike Nuagbo and family, especially uh, this morning, we pray for protection for his health, uh, for their ministry and their safety, Lord, and that you would just continue to allow the gospel to go forward in Nigeria. We pray for the Matt family preparing to go to Latin America. Lord, we continue to pray for the trainers and their work in Italy, the McCormacks in Peru, the Wicks as they work with medical missions, the Gazaways in Egypt, the Bordels serving you in Costa Rica, the Colleen's in Romania, and just continued uh, protection to them as they support others in Ukraine. Pray for the Taylors in Mexico, the Barrowmans and their work in England. We pray for our, the families here in the U.S. that are supporting church planting, the Reese and the Gardner families. Continue to pray for uh, Pastor Caleb and, and the team at Gospel Community here in Rock Island. And Lord, we pray for the Espositos in Thailand and for our team in Cambodia, uh, the Vongs and the Boards, the Torres, Kosal, Mon, and San families. Pray, Lord, um, not only for them this week ahead, but for us as well, that you would give us opportunities to live out and to share the gospel, Lord, and just to be excited about what that means eternally for those that you use us to speak to. Pray for boldness, Lord, for those that are shy or don't know exactly how to do it, Lord, but just help us to remember this is uh, the most exciting and the most important thing we can do. And Lord, we just pray again for, for the week ahead. And all these things in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>